Imagine, you've just walked inside Washington, D.C.'s Museum for African American History. As you go by, you see memorials to those who died in slavery in, the, in early antebellum America and other relics of early America. And then you come to the main exhibit, the one that's on show right now at the museum, one about the first black president, Stephen Douglas. Welcome to Imagine If, the alternate history podcast. I'm your host, Brody Burton. to imagine if. As you may have been able to guess from the spoiler in the beginning, today's episode we're going back into 1860s America. First, to give a little Douglas was an abolitionist in the 1850s and 1860s, had close relations with Abraham Lincoln, and was black. And because of the racism in the day and era, he never ran for public office. He was an escaped slave, and I believe he wrote a book as well. At least one. And then, however, that's actually not the center of the episode or the point of divergence. The point of divergence in this episode occurs in 1865, on April 14th, 1865. And that was the day Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. So we're going to be diverging off in our story today, saying John Wilkes Booth, the man who shot and killed President Abraham Lincoln, we're going to say that he never makes it to the theater, or he misses when he shoots Abraham Lincoln. But for whatever reason, Abraham Lincoln lives past that night and is not killed by Booth or by anyone. So without further ado, let's jump into the let's jump into the show. Imagine you're living in post-Civil War United States. It's been a few months since Robert E. Lee surrendered to the Union Army. And since the Civil War officially ended, years after the first attack on Fort Sumner. However, the question remains about what to do with the South. Many Southerners are, were former Confederates. Many former Southern politicians were Confederate politicians. And this has led to a great debate in the United States on whether or not to let the Confederates continue to run themselves or to have the federal government control the area. Right now, U.S. troops are in the South and are enforcing the laws there and governing it. However, President Abraham Lincoln, Vice President Andrew Johnson, and many others outside the radical Republican wing of the Republican Party are advocating for a soft reconstruction, which will allow the southern states to be readmitted to the Union and to be able to vote in presidential elections and other elections and have a vote voice in Congress. 
However, the radical Republicans, who make up the vast majority of both the House and the Senate, advocate for a harder, more tough Reconstruction, which would bar any Confederate from holding elected office or appointed office, as well as taking land from southern for previously from those who previously held slaves and giving it to the freed slaves. However, most people still trust Abraham Lincoln, the popular hero in the post-war era. The first major thing Abraham Lincoln does in his Reconstruction is the 13th Amendment, which abolishes all forms of slavery in the United States and frees any and all slaves who were previously held in captivity. The Emancipation Proclamation had only gone so far as to free the slaves in areas in rebellion. This excluded much. This excluded the border states of Delaware, Maryland, Kentucky, and Missouri, as well as vast portions of Tennessee and other portions in which the Union occupied. However, the Fourteenth Amendment would be much more controversial, pushed primarily by radical Republicans, but having the support of Abraham Lincoln. It advocated to extend equal rights to all persons. This would include voting rights. This would include uh, right to serve in the military and any and other privileges of U.S. citizenship. And it would extend it not only to former slaves, but to women as well, something that seemed very, very radical for the time. Congress very, very, very narrowly passed it. And the southern states, which were not yet admitted to the Union, could not pass it. But even among the northern states, it barely earned the majorities it needed. And it primarily earned these majorities from the majority of the states it needed from New England, the West Coast, and Abraham Lincoln's home state of Illinois. However, the 1869 presidential election would be on many people's minds. Abraham Lincoln would stick with the president first set by Washington, but observed since then by two-term presidents such as Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, James Monroe, and Andrew Jackson in only serving two terms as president. This left the field open to those who could serve as Lincoln's replacement. Some of the potential nominees included um, Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of State, William Seward, who was also the former governor of New York and who had attempted to run in 1860. <clears throat> Abraham Lincoln's Democrat, who was serving as his vice president, Abraham Lincoln being a Republican, Andrew Johnson, as well as the former abolitionist who had had the ear of President Lincoln for much of his tenure, Stephen Douglas. Stephen Douglas came out of nowhere for many people. However, African Americans broadly supported him, as did poor classes which allowed him to propel himself to the presidency against nominal Democratic nom opposition. Douglas began to do things that, no, that Lincoln did not at the time. He began by readmitting the first states, starting with Tennessee, but later moving to add back North Carolina and Texas. And then in 1871, the second year of his term, he added back in Florida as a full U.S. state. 
By the end of his second term as president, Stephen Douglas had readmitted the entire South. In the post-war era, and in the unity that came with having an African-American pre president like Douglas readmit the southern states, which allowed the southern states to, to a degree, drop some of their previous racisms, it allowed the beginning of American expansions as the U.S. began to back France in what was looking like there would be an increasing conflict between France and the rising power in Prussia, a German state that had re more recently formed. When the war first broke out in the 1880s, and under the beginning of Ulysses S. Grant's presidency, America got involved and allowed France to easily, easily defeat Prussia in the war. And America was able to pick up some German territory in the Pacific as well, as well as some of their colonies in Africa. These colonies in the Pacific, as well as the addition of Hawaii into the Union, caused the need for a canal to connect the Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. Two places were deemed worthy of a potential canal, Panama and Nicaragua. Panama was under the control of Gran Colombia, a nation rife with corruption and not exactly the most friendly nation to the United States. However, Nicaragua remained an independent country. President Ulysses S. Grant authorized the construction of a canal connecting the Caribbean to the Pacific Ocean going through Nicaragua. It would take 15 years to complete, but eventually it would be done. America's, increasingly, America's increasing involvement in the Pacific caused it to get involved between, in a war between Russia and Japan, which occurred in the early 1900s. After the war had broken out, America backed the Russians in hopes of gaining Japanese territories such as Taiwan. America and Russia won the war and Russia gained a northern island of Japan and the United States gained Taiwan. This increasing expansion under President Theodore Roosevelt also saw another major concern. With the overthrow of ancient dynasties in China, a civil war had broken out between communists and Democrats. America began to get involved in the Civil War in order to set up a nation-state a, a nation friendly to the U.S. government in China. They allowed the, the Democrats to win in China and to be able to establish a republic. However, not long after, it seemed America would never get a break from its continual wars, as a French shipping vessel was sunk by the German Navy. This caused a series of events that led to what became known as the Great War. America immediately got involved and made the war only three years long, relatively short. And they were able to help create a great peace afterward. However, after years and years and years of war, America had a debt crisis that began to escalate. They sold Taiwan to China for millions of dollars in order to offset this debt. Okay, now to give a little bit of additional context and additional information as 
This episode wasn't too long or wasn't too well prepared. I've been busy with schoolwork. I'm trying to make the podcast more regular. So the main outcomes in the end of our alternate history here is there's no World War II as the Great War, World War I, was resolved in a way into which there never would be a conflict for a World War II. The, this is where a treaty created would allow the United States to, would allow Germany to not need to go to war as they would not be in the economic crisis that led to the rise of the National Socialist Party in Germany. Also, the USSR never ha- never was created as Russia never had to pull out of World War One due to Bolshevik rebellions. And because of this, the whole Cold War never would have happened. And because of this, there would never be things like the moon landing or other Cold War era accomplishments, achievements, historical milestones, etc. So thank you for listening to today on Imagine If. I know it wasn't our longest episode ever. Um, please come back next week for more content.